Welcome to A Word from Our Outpost with Joseph and Crystal Gruber, a podcast for Catholic disciples who are wrestling to be missionary-minded in their normal, everyday lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Direct, O Lord, our actions by thy holy inspiration, and carry them on by thy gracious assistance, that every word and work of ours may begin in thee, and by thee be happily ended. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Well, Joseph. Crystal. I'm very excited about this podcast today. We have a special guest with us, John Bishop. Hello, John. Absolutely. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Would you do us the honor of introducing yourself? Sure. So I'm John Bishop. I am the executive director for a new nonprofit called Forge. At Forge, we say that we're passionate about men, marriages, and families. So we are fundamentally a family formation company but we have a strategic emphasis on men. And in fact, for our first couple of years of operations, we're working exclusively with men. Getting up to this point, I served as director of formation for Focus at the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And uh, yeah, during that time, I I got a doctorate in theology from Catholic University of America and wrote my doctoral dissertation on the crisis of men and masculinity in the church and more or less about where we go from here. Awesome. Well, as a mother of four sons, I'm very excited <laughs> to to yeah. dive into these topics and and learn more about yeah what you have to say and have some hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and maybe to set some context, uh, we talk a lot about like marriage enrichment, and we talk about marriage prep, and we recognize that marriage prep has these three stages. One is the immediate prep that comes from a uh, 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 man and a woman saying, I want to marry this one and, and right. that preparation. Then there's the proximate preparation, which is the preparation from essentially puberty on and learning how to be a, uh, a citizen of the world, a citizen of one's country, I suppose, more technically, um, and, and how to interact with people of the opposite sex, how to uh, be truly you know, um, a man or a woman. And then before that is remote preparation, this preparation we receive in the home from observing marriage lived out by watching uh, mother and father, by watching neighbors, by watching other uh, extended family members, people of the community. And we spend most of our time between the marriage, post-marriage enrichment, and like probably the other big chunk is our proximate marriage prep stuff. But we thought maybe today would be a good day to dive into especially the remote preparation. So how do yeah. we raise sexually healthy masculine sons, especially recognizing that uh, the world does not want them to be sexually healthy? Right. Yeah. Well, hey, I, yeah, this is, this is something that I'm really excited to talk about and something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. So uh, I'll go ahead and, you know, it, it strikes me that perhaps the best way for me to begin on this is to talk a little bit about what motivated me to make this topic such a big deal in my own life. So a lot of people will talk about the crisis of masculinity, the crisis of men, both in the church and the culture, and, and what in the world does that mean? A lot of people might not, might not see it in their own lives, I, you know, depending on what area of the country I'm, I'm working in or speaking in. Sometimes I run into communities of people who don't seem to to have any man problem at all. It was interesting. About a month or about a year ago, I was in West Virginia 
And when I was in West Virginia, in this, in this particular town, I, I went to a church and I was giving a talk on masculinity and the church was filled with men, uh, almost no women <laughs> there at all. And, and they, when I was talking to them about the crisis of men and masculinity, they were just like, no, what do you mean? You know, we're, we can't get the women to come to church. But for most places, that's not the case. So um, on any given Sunday in the United States of America, both for Catholic churches and for mainstream Protestant denominations, your average church congregation will be about 62% female and about 38% male. All right. Um, When it comes to marriage and family, I, I usually just give simple kind of human observations like the fact that if anybody's going to leave a family or you know uh, neglect their responsibilities when it comes to their spouse, their children, it's usually not going to be the woman who just sort of like you know uh, at least in a manifest way just kind of packs her bags and heads out. Oftentimes, it's the man who leaves. And statistic after statistic, the most recent one being um, a study done by an organization called Communio in June of 2023, showed that. The number one, if, if you were to isolate just a single factor that would cultivate um, faith, or at least would be an indicator of faithfulness in the next generation, that single factor with the highest predictive power would be the witness of the husband and the father of the male. All right. Of course, that's nothing against women. And people ask me all the time, gosh, you know, why, why are you putting so much emphasis on men? Isn't that chauvinistic? And I say, actually, it's, it's quite the opposite. It, my, my emphasis on men is more a function of male weakness, you might say, than male strength. It's, it's the fact that we see such declining statistics, such declining participation in religious life, such declining participation in family life on behalf of men that we need to buttress and provide support you know, for, for that sort of, I hate to say weak link, but at least in contemporary society, that's you know, I think what it might uh, rightly be called that we we put a lot of emphasis on men so the 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 general flight of men away from the family and away from the faith in this generation is certainly a problem but it's even a bigger problem for the next generation so it's for that reason that i think organizations really any organization that has a touch on marriage that has a touch on family life needs to reckon with this issue which is which is masculinity, and then how do we cultivate a positive sense of masculinity in our sons? So that just kind of lays the stage. When I started thinking about masculinity a lot, thinking about the formation of masculinity, I was coming from working in in professional ministry and, and sort of seeing these statistics firsthand and then decided to write a doctorate on on the topic of the crisis of men and, and masculinity in the church and in the culture and, and where to go from there. So I don't know if that if that sort of resounds, gets any traction in your experience, um, Joseph or Crystal, but anything that you might add to that, you know, does that seem seem off to you? Anything your listeners might be wondering about, you think? Yeah, well, there's, there's two things that come to mind. <clears throat> One of which, uh, when we give talks on dating, we often get asked like, because we say that men should ask women out. So invariably a woman will be like, well, why can't I ask men out? And I say, look, you can, that's not the problem. The problem is, is you want to marry the sort of man who's going to take initiative and be a leader of the house. And if you start out your relationship where you are the one woman taking initiative and being the leader of the relationship, that's what you're going to have for the rest of your life. 
And yeah. any woman that I've talked to that that's how the relationship starts, they feel like their husband is another child in the house. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't want that for your marriage. So don't start dating. That way. Yeah. Yeah. And you might think that when it, when it comes to particularly things domestic, all right, things in the home, like you said, women just naturally for a lot of hardwired biological reasons are going to forge bonds and connect with their children, become enlivened by all things domestic, just naturally from the get-go more than men. And so if you want to have a true, a true partner in crime, if you will, while you're doing the family thing, then it's almost like you have to sort of create the space for men to step in and lead. Because otherwise, just, just kind of given the, the, once again, the natural, I don't want to say deficiency, but the, the you know, women are just sort of like quicker ordinarily on these things, that it's almost like you have to give men to, to just sort of clear a wide space for them to step in and initiate, right? And if it, it's, it's so easily stifled, that masculine initiative in the family, so easily strangled. And so anything that you can do to cultivate it is certainly a worthwhile endeavor. I love that. Yeah. Is there a second point? You there said there were two things. Was, oh, I, that was, I had come across a similar statistic of the one you shared that was more recently done by Comunio um, when I was a missionary on campus with Focus about yeah. the the impact of the faithful husband, the faithful father in regards to family life. And, right. and as I was a missionary and meeting students, invariably the kids that were still practicing the faith, dad went to church. Like yeah. maybe he wasn't even Catholic. Maybe he hadn't even come into the church, but he like went to mass yeah. with the family every Sunday. And so as I started thinking about marriage for myself, that became really important to me of like, I, I want to marry a man who We'll go to mass every Sunday, unquestionably. Um, right. And so. And then you just ended up with me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> He's got a lot of other great qualities. But <laughs> and he yep. goes to mass every Sunday. So. Yeah. So that, yeah. that one just really resonates with me a lot. And yeah, seeing, seeing the impact of that and what that means and looks like. So I would love to jump into then what does this look like? For, for parents, what does this yeah. look like for that? Yeah, that remote prep, like how, how we love our sons well. Yeah. So I'm going to start off with some really basic points, and then we'll just get more and more specific as the conversation goes on. The first exceptionally simple point that I'd like to make is making sure that your son has models of masculinity in his life that he can actually aspire to. Okay, now here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, I think we fall into a bit of a trap, particularly in the new evangelization Catholic world that a lot of people in ministry run around in, where there's unwittingly a kind of machismo version of masculinity that is upheld as kind of good Catholic masculinity, if you will. So and this is nothing against, against sports heroes or anything like that. But if you go to your typical kind of Catholic conference, um, there's going to be a man talk usually as a part of that conference. And the kind of go-to person to tap on the shoulder for that man talk is usually like some sort of robust professional male athlete. All right. You might think of Phil Rivers or Harrison Butker, or whoever you have, rah-rah Harrison Butker. I was certainly rooting him on in the Super Bowl and he's an exceptional man. So this is nothing against those people. But for many of the men just, sitting in the just audience- to be clear. I do know who that one is. 
Okay. <laughs> That's good. Kicker for the Chiefs. Yeah. 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 Proud of you, Joseph. Thank That's, you. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. For anybody who doesn't know, Harrison Butker is a is a devout Catholic man. Uh, I, from everything that I can tell, I don't know him personally. Remarkable um, husband and father uh, who uh, serves as the um, uh, the, the kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs and, and performed very well in it in winning the Super Bowl this past Sunday. So there you have it, um, Harrison Butker. Um, you have guys like that who are oftentimes kind of put on the stage as as the kind of paradigm of all masculinity. Now, that's not to say that they aren't shining examples of masculinity, but it might not be a, a, a witness of masculinity that all of the men in the audience can sort of resonate with. All right. So for example, one of the best examples that I've ever seen of masculinity um, is from an old Italian film uh, called Life is Beautiful. If you guys ever seen this, um, it's it's entirely in Italian. Um, it usually kind of comes up as one of the greatest films of all time. I've heard of it, but I don't think we've seen it. We have not seen okay. it. The the narrative the in the in the story is this that there's an, an Italian town and there's a journalist in the town. The journalist, young man, Jewish man, falls head over heels in love with a woman. Uh, they get married, have children, and this man, without kind of giving away the the uh, the end of the film, more or less goes throughout the entire film protecting his daughter, protecting his wife from the the various attacks of the Nazis to you know to find them put them in concentration camps what have you and while he does this he does it in the way that a kind of goofy journalist might do it he's not machismo he's sort of a, a tall lanky character who rides a bicycle around town is always joking and uh just kind of having fun playfully with every person that he encounters he doesn't exactly fit the mold of i don't know um bruce willis masculinity or something like that He's a, a, a sort of different manifestation of it, if you will. He's a journalist. He's, he's not a professional athlete. Um, and you might think of, of his profession as kind of, you know, sort of uh, representative of his personality at large. There are different kinds of men. And just as, you know, I think sometimes when people hear me say that, they sort of cringe because they're like, well, does, you know, does that, you know, go contrary to the sexual binary or anything? I'm like, no, of course not. You know, the church has always recognized this sort of, you know, range in personalities. I mean, after all, when it comes to femininity, there was indeed people like, I don't know, uh, Therese of Lisieux. But there's also another canonized saint, Joan of Arc, you know, who, um, who's being a warrior was not in any way an affront to her femininity in the same way that the masculinity of St. Joseph might look different than the masculinity of John de Berbuff or, or, or another ca- Catholic saint. So in your life, think about your son. And does he, with his own dispositions, with his own talents, with his own personality type, have men in his life? to whom he can aspire to be like. Okay, so um, just speaking for myself, I have two sons and I'm not banking on either of them becoming NFL football players. And if they're like me, they might not even have an interest in, in, in professional football. Um, they might be sort of more thoughtful types who get lost in books and things of that nature. Can you have men in your life to whom that kind of kid can aspire 
in the same way that the young athletic man, you know, has, has, has images of masculinity that he can aspire to. And here's why that's critical. If young boys don't, or how do I say this? If young boys aren't given an image of positive masculinity, they will find masculinity somewhere else. It's hardwired in them to want to be men. And if they don't get an image of masculinity, a taste for masculinity in the community of their own families, say in their church or in some wholesome setting like that, then they'll look elsewhere. Ordinarily, they'll look for images of masculinity on things like YouTube, right? Or, or on the streets or what have you. They will, they will find masculinity somewhere because it is, it is built into their DNA as human males to look for guidance when it comes to the flourishing of their own male potency. And the flourishing of that male potency is, of course, masculinity. If we don't give our boys positive images of masculinity, they'll find bad ones and they'll mimic those in their own lives. Does that make sense? Do you see that? Yeah. Yeah. What would be some concrete examples you'd listed going to a conference and putting a man on the stage who is some exemplification of masculinity, but what would be other ways of giving these examples to, yeah. to a son? Yeah. So, you know, there are, there are kind of grandiose ways of doing it, like putting the right kinds of speakers on stages at Catholic conferences, but let's pause for a moment now and, and just talk about some very simple ways of doing it. I think that the, the, the best way to raise children um, is amongst communities of parents doing the parenting thing together, all right? So obviously, parents are primary educators of their children, and, and you, Joseph, and you, Crystal, are, have an authority over your own children, a window into their own formation that, that nobody else has. Nevertheless, you benefit, and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, by having other complementary adults alongside you that can provide a complementary witness to your sons and daughters. Now, today we're talking particularly about sons, but let's just picture this. So um, the Grubers are having a barbecue um, on Saturday afternoon at their house. And obviously you two are there, but let's just say, Joseph, that you also have four or five of your friends who also come over for the barbecue. And one of those friends is a, is a successful businessman um, in town, but is, is, is a masculine man in his way. Um, another of those friends is something of an artist. He's, he's great with the guitar. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe he works as an educator in a, in a local school. Um, then you have a doctor, you know, it's, it's somebody else, some other profession. And when you think about your four boys, they each have their own personalities. Those boys might look up to different of the men at that barbecue. And I think what it looks like to cultivate masculinity concretely in your sons for you, Joseph, to be quite strategic about getting your sons around men who will support your witness, your formation, in a complementary way that perhaps can't. Okay, so everybody knows certain things that kids don't like to take from their parents. You can say it a thousand times and it might get your kids 90, 95% of the way there, but you need some other parents alongside you to take the other 5%. The same with masculinity. I remember being 
a young boy myself, and I respected my father. I have kind of a champion gold medal dad who, who did so many things right. But there was, a, there was an attorney in town when I was growing up who was very eloquent. He, he really just kind of knew how to make an art man. He loved to, um, he was very well read. And it was almost as though he and my dad conspired, which I found later on they explicitly did, you know, to help guide me along a path to, to adulthood. Um, who are the men in your life? This is a question for, for all of the husbands and fathers listening to this podcast. Who are the men in your life to whom you're th- you think your boys might naturally net, might naturally aspire? And next time you're around them, can you say something like, hey, uh, we'll just say, Bob, you and your wife are, are going to come over for a barbecue next Sunday. Would you mind just sometime over the course of the afternoon when you're at our house, just pull my son aside, have a quick conversation with him. I'd love for him to connect with you a little bit more. And, you know, he's actually struggling a little bit with X, Y, Z. And if that topic comes up, I wouldn't mind if you, if you, if you spoke with him about it a little bit. And what that does is kind of like, like gives boys a sort of track to, to follow along as they traverse the the perilous journey from boyhood to manhood. So do you see that quite concretely? Does that give you a little bit, little taste of what you're looking for? Yeah. It's interesting because as you were like describing the theoretical situation, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm thinking about parties we've had and the men that have been there and which ones kind of fill into that. And then there's another- You're thinking about the doctor and the businessman and the lawyer and the educator who come over. Who's the doctor? He's in Guatemala now? Oh, Yeah. We lost him. Yeah. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) But, but then there's another family that's coming to my mind that I'm like, Ooh, we need to be friends with them because this one son would connect with him. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I like what you're talking about. You're not just saying, you know, let it happen only by osmosis, you know, just, you know, trust that chance will make them have conversations and connect, but, but actually set them up for success. Actually, uh, plant some seeds for healthy relationships to form. The other thing I I love about this, and and I don't know if this is intentional on your part, but in terms of thinking about, uh, there's such a deficit in male and man friendships. Yeah. And this is a really beautiful way to strengthen the friendship between those dads. Right. In a way that feels very honoring and acceptable and it takes out like some of the weirdness that I think some guys have and it's and it it like undergirds a way to give another man a compliment without it being a compliment if that makes sense like like <laughs> yeah. there's just it's harder for them to resist the recession yeah, like it. if you were like hey man I really admire like the virtue with which you run your business he'd be like uh thanks I guess but if you were like hey man I think my son like might be interested in the kind of business you run. Could you kind of talk to him about that sometime if the opportunity presents itself? Like you've given him a compliment, but he doesn't have to feel like awkward and weird about it and might not even realize that it was a compliment until after the fact. And then you also give him something to do about it. Yeah. I just, that's just, it's genius. I love it. Yeah. Men unite around a project, right? There has to be something out there. That they're going towards, right? And 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 the, the pursuit of that thing unites the parties who are in pursuit of it, right? And so it's almost like the the formation of the boy and and more broadly 
you know, the flourishing of the family is the project. And if, if, if the husbands and the fathers can conspire, you know, towards that common end, then I think you, you naturally get this friendship. But point, the point that you just made, Crystal, actually um, gives me an opportunity to highlight another thing. And it's, it's the value of having a community of men into which you can invite your son. All right. So uh, one of the things that I spent so much time researching and thinking about during my doctoral studies was the prevalence of initiation rights across time and place, particularly male initiation rights. Um, the same parallel doesn't hold for women. But if you consider this phenomenon, which is the male initiation right, which exists in excess of 99% of societies across time and place throughout history up until the very, very recent, like last few decades past um, in, uh, in the United States, those were powerful and they were part of male formation. It seems to be the case that young boys who ordinarily grow up in an, in an environment that is sort of flavored feminine have an innate desire to enter into a community that is obviously masculine. Let me kind of sort of put some detail on that real quick. If you think about it, I'm kind of being funny here, kind of not. Every human being, regardless of sex, begins in the most feminine of all feminine environments, like right. literally the womb, you know? Yeah, right. And then they go from there, you know, to, I mean, you might think of nursing, you might think of all of the needs of like very, very young children. Most of those needs are more readily met or at least more frequently met by, by the mother. So there's a way in which all boys start out in this kind of feminine space, which gives a kind of narrative to the fact that in a certain sense, more than women, more than females, boys have to have this step along the way where they exit that space and they go into another space, right? You know, typically the space of men, like you're, you're no longer doing the thing, you know, uh, around the camp with the women. You're now going out and hunting with the men, right? Boys want that. They want it so bad, which is why they search for masculinity so hard. Now, what does it look like for a husband and a father in 2024 to have some kind of intentionality in ushering his son into healthy masculinity? Well, you can do big things in your life that, that I, I would hardly recommend to people like, you know, taking your son on backpacking trips and things of that nature. But those sorts of things, you, you know, are, are kind of bright moments along the way, if you will, that you should certainly engage in. But let's go back to the barbecue for a second, okay? In a lot of the barbecues that I go to, it just seems to naturally happen, doesn't always happen, but you've, you've got families together and there almost inevitably ends up being a man circle. It might be around the grill. Um, it might be you know, some other point in the house, but you've got your man circle, okay? And let's just say that you've got like an 11, 12, 13-year-old son who's kind of starting to wrestle with questions about life and sexuality and masculinity and whether he can articulate those questions or not, you can kind of tell they're at play in him. What's a really simple thing that you can do to kind of usher your son in to a sort of wholesome understanding of masculinity? Just make him a space in the man circle. All right. Just, you kind of like step over, bring him in and say, Hey son, we're talking about X. What do you think about it? And then compliment him on the point that he makes. And all of a sudden, in a very small way, 
your boy has become part of the crew, right? Of the hunters, if you will. Now those hunters are now like insurance salesmen and things like that. So we, <laughs> you know, it's not like be all too you know grandiose about this. But I give that as an example of the kind of very simple thing that fathers can do to usher their sons into communities of men in which those sons can identify, right? I'm part of this crew, you know, like this is, this is my dad. This is his friends. This is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm his son. Um, and this is this, you know, community of men in this town and me, the 13 year old kind of wrestling with questions about my own masculinity. I'm starting to identify with a group of men and something deep. I could, I could talk for hours about the deep psychological things that are at play when that's happening to a boy, but it's important and it's critical. There's a reason why you see these initiation rites, um, uh, celebrations of masculinity, of kind of entering the, a brotherhood of men across time, across place without any exceptions. And there needs to be a similar way for us to meet that need for young boys in today's culture. Do you see that? Any, any, any kind of immediate questions that come to mind on, on that front? I mean, there's a concern that many men don't host barbecues Okay. <laughs> so yeah. like there there's like the the without which there is not a man circle, which is the right. the gathering of families in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. We don't currently have that problem, but we do know that there are many Well, and we don't have that problem because we host. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Like we create that space and have not yet, although I think we're making progress, changed the culture in our town such that other people also are doing this. A couple, right. a couple of people do, yeah. At least some, but this is like a, a huge cultural shift to to make invitations, to bring people together, to have no um, ulterior motive other right. than the desire to be with other families who are seeking the good life. Yeah, fatherhood requires intentionality. You know, it's it's so, um, gosh antithetical to today's culture, as you said, Joseph, to run in that direction. There's an incredible book uh, by, oh gosh, the, the book is called The Intentional Father. Um, author's first name is John. I can't remember his last name, but if there's not any Bishop. book, it's not Bishop. <laughs> no, I wish. Um, but he, uh, this book, The Intentional Father, um, more or less makes the case that for husbands and fathers wanting to raise masculine sons, it is incumbent upon those husbands and fathers to create intentional male, really kind of all male masculine spaces in which their sons can kind of stretch out into their masculinity. And it, it doesn't have to be complicated. You know, it can be, okay, gosh, I'm going to, I like to go fishing, you know, or I, I, I live in Colorado and I like to go for a hike. All right. And I usually bring a couple other men with me. Well, so long as those are wholesome other men that you have with you, invite your son. Okay. It doesn't have to be the man circle at the barbecue, but introducing your son to all male spaces such that he starts to identify with, with the, with the men who are in those spaces. It's almost like every time you do that, you create a little masculine initiation, right? in which your son can start to identify with wholesome masculinity as opposed to some other version of masculinity that would ultimately 
be detrimental to his marriage and to his family. Yeah. So I think another example, so I used to host regular times to study the Bible with men. And yeah. one of my sons for first communion got a really nice Ignatius RSV Bible hardback. And he, he was so excited. He said, can I come to your Bible study now, daddy? It's like, well, you can come for the beginning. Hmm. And so he would come and uh, be there for like introductions and catching up and then opening prayer and reading the story. And then we would see if he had any comments on it. And then I said, okay, now it's, it's time to go to bed. Thank you for coming. Um, so like this moment of allowing him at least at the beginning of the discussion. Yeah. Because he was only Powerful. seven, eight years old. At the yeah. Time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I think that's a really beautiful example, Joseph, of like you inviting him into your life. Well, like, he invited himself. Well, Let's be clear. <laughs> but you but he him. wants it, right? Yeah. That, that almost reinforces yeah. the point more is that he's intrigued by that. You yeah. know, the thing going on, you know, the adult men there, they are, I want to be part of that. You know, mm -hmm. like it, I think it's a perfect example. And then the fact that it's almost like you whet his appetite by giving him a taste of it. And then saying, son, yeah, maybe, maybe another year, maybe, maybe a couple of years from now, we'll give you a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. like you're leading your son along a path that eventually culminates in his own flourishing. Right. I think, I think, yeah, whether, whether you knew it or not, I think that's, that's an absolute wonderful example of the kind of thing that. Yeah, that, no, absolutely. Without intention, totally by accident and osmosis. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the evidence of your brilliance, Joseph, clearly. <laughs> well, and it, it's interesting because I think that that's, you know, you brought up the point earlier, John, of like, you know, there are different kinds of men and w what are the things that we like to to do? And I think I've seen this in our time in, in space in life of when men don't feel like they fit into this, like right. sports, whatever guy, there's this question of like, well, what do I have to offer as a right. man? And what does masculinity really look like? Right. And how am I upholding that? And and the the fact of the matter is, is if if you are paying attention to who you are and how you're wired and and doing the things that you love to do and that bring you to life again, so long as they're wholesome, um, which the, if they're not wholesome, they're not actually going to bring you to life. So there's there that. you go. But and then and then to to do those things and to pursue those things and to see that not as a selfish endeavor so long as it's helping you grow in virtue, but as a, a creating a space for your sons, like, and again, not, we don't want like the means and the ends to get all mixed up here, but, but that that is a benefit of, yeah, I don't have a flourishing life so that my sons, no, no. but, but because I have a flourishing life and it's not, it's not selfish to have a flourishing life. Truth. <laughs> and it does also create, right? Because I, I and it and it's this because one of the things that I I see happen, and and I see this happen in Catholic circles in a way that really gets my goat. But there's this like the workaholism of the dad. Where yeah. I'm like, you okay? Sure, maybe you're open to life, and maybe you have six eight kids, but your wife is really unhappy because you're working eighty hours a week, and you're yeah. not actually different than your neighbors that don't go to church and have different ideals. Like the, the, the shape of your the rhythm of life, like you don't have a relationship with your kids, you're working too much, but there's yeah. this like, but I'm providing for my family mentality. And it's like, money is not what they need. 
<laughs> they need yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And, Let and me, what? I think you're so right on that crystal. And uh, I, I kind of just want to take out a highlighter and under, you know, just, just emphasize what you said for a moment here. And would you mind if I, if I spent just a minute or two on that point and, and why I think you're absolutely correct? Please. Okay. <laughs> I love being right. <laughs> yeah. So um, men are providers, men are protectors. I don't deny those points. They're certainly true. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes, you know, I, I was reading an article, I think this was from the Art of Manliness website, which is generally a great podcast and a wonderful source of, of good, wholesome masculinity. And there was an article that talked about the three P's of masculinity, you know, provide, protect, procreate. So you have to, you know, that those, those things are true. And I would certainly call the, you know, men who are called to procreate to procreate and, and men are indeed called to be providers and protectors. Fundamentally though, I think there's a deeper gift that men have to give in that husbands and fathers in particular are called not only to procreate, to protect and to provide, but also to play. And there's perhaps no deeper formation that you can give your son than to enter into the intimate world of his play and to, within that space, witness to masculinity. You can't do that if you don't give him time. Just recently here, the apostolate that I run released a series um, just called Fathers and Sons, Conversations in Sex, Ed, Marriage, and Masculinity. And there's a man who was part of the development of that series, who was a very successful attorney. And he's got eight kids. He is a partner at an international law firm. So no slouch, Ivy League educated guy, clearly a, a, a bright, hardworking individual. He made a resolution that in any given week, he, throughout the whole of his, his raising his children, would spend intentional one-on-one -on -one time every week with every single one of his eight kids. And he talks about, you know, more than the multi-million dollar a year salary that he was able to provide, the beautiful home that he was able to, you know, to, to give, that he, 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 he was very, very intentional about wasting time with his children. It was, I think that kind of thing is sometimes underemphasized in the, even the very Catholic circles, you know, and, and unfortunately, sometimes maybe especially in the very Catholic circles, our understanding of masculinity. Sure, men are providers, protectors, they should certainly procreate, but can you be a man at play? You know, and in and, and, and that, you give your children an invaluable gift. Do you see that? Does that resonate with your experience, Crystal? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very Chestertonian. Right. There like, we go. What was the example of G.K. Chesterton and his father? Uh, apparently, his dad had uh, finances such that uh, he, he was basically a stay-at-home dad, and he built oh, wow. a puppet theater for his son. Wow. Well, for his sons. And I didn't know he this would put about on, Chesterton. Wow. He, yeah, they would put on these little puppet shows, like, you know, G.K. would, would write little uh little plays and he and his dad and then his younger brother eventually that they would right. play act they they right. they would and, and then when g so he and his wife weren't able to have children which is very sad the idea of gk chesterton with a whole posse of kids would have been a delight oh wow yeah uh, but uh that was not in the cards for them uh if we believe in the predictive power of cards which we don't 
<laughs> idioms, man. Idioms. Thank you for Good the clarification. Treat. I appreciate yeah. that, Joseph. No, it's helpful. Yeah. yeah. Um, not going to be derailed. Uh, but he he was a fatherly figure in his community. So he actually yeah. made like little puppets for kids in his community. And they would they would put on plays for the kids. He and his wife, they would have families over. Uh, th- this idea of the man at play was very much a Chestertonian thing. Yeah, and you might think of it too as a kind of fulfillment, kind of almost pinnacle of masculinity. You know, like when you're when you're learning how to be a man, I think kind of in in gradients you kind of progress in, you know you might say starting out every adolescent male is able to at least perform the action um, barring medical difficulties, you know, of, of procreating. There's something sort of basic about that, you know, but, and then, and then, you know, it is incumbent upon men uh, to, you know, to learn the trade you might say, or, you know, some means to provide for your family um, to have the the wherewithal for the modern equivalent of you know, protecting your family, say from the the negative effects of of digital media or things like that. Okay, um, and and these things become harder and harder and harder. But it's only a man who is really at peace with his masculinity, I think, who can enter into confidently things like silliness with his kids. You, you know. know- yeah, Go ahead. that that's something that as you have as you've been talking, I've been thinking about is like this is like maybe a, a tremendous negative impact on the woundedness of men. Yeah, because I I mean I know even for myself I have a hard time playing, and I see that as a sign of of a deficit and a sign of woundedness in myself. Hmm. And so this idea that that like and then also it brings to mind. I mean earlier we were talking about this like you know the the professional football player like what is football? It's a game. Yeah. It is a game this to is be good. played. Yeah. And, and so that we've disordered play in a certain, there's this, it's like on the one hand, there's something really beautiful in that. But then on the other hand, it's become not to play. Right. And, and so there's the, just the understanding well, then, around play. And then the other direction is when work, like when you're really good at something, it becomes playful. Right. right. Master craftsmen, they enjoy the work. They, 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 have fun in the fun. doing of it yeah and and that that could be the spirit in which we do all sorts of things like yeah. uh when i have my sons help me to to reorder the the living room i can either come down harshly and yell and say why aren't you picking up the this mess or i can say all right come on guys you know here's fun you know we can sing a song and and we can enjoy this like this is this is right. an enjoyable thing we can make this room beautiful for your mother and we can have fun you can you can choose either one. You can do both, I suppose, but probably one is better than the other. Yes, yes. Play seems to be a kind of pinnacle in more ways than one, and thereby you might think a, a challenge, you know, to to men who who really desire to be deeply masculine. You know, in in this same vein, you're talking about the heights of of masculinity, if you will. I want to I want to make another point here that I think is is critical for men, particularly devout Catholic men, as I suspect a lot of the folks listening to this podcast are, when it comes to the raising of their own sons. Like I mentioned before, I recently went through the process about about six months or so of interviewing a lot of psychologists, 
theologians, philosophers, and just experienced fathers across the country asking the question, how do you raise a sexually healthy son in a sexually toxic culture? And one of the things that I found over and over and over again, even in very devout Catholic Christian circles, were men who spoke to their sons about so many things, who were involved, who were intentional, who you know, took their kids on camping trips and who, you know, gave them a great education and read them books at night and and what have you, but who never spoke to their sons about that thing, which constitutes perhaps the chief channel through which most men, many men become confused. And that's sexuality. That the number of, of men who I encountered who had never had even a single conversation with their father about things sexual. And I'm talking families who are open to life, um, who are obedient to 110% of all church teachings, going to mass on Sunday and many other times throughout the week. But the topic of sexuality comes at the, at particularly the young boys through about 10 other sources and not the father. This is a tragedy. And it, and, it, and it seems to just kind of redound through the generations that like, I, I literally spoke to one man, I remember having a conversation with him in a coffee shop. And he said, this man was in his mid 50s. And he said, Well, you know, my, my father was a staunch kind of World War Two vet, super, super Catholic man, you know, kind of defends his dad. Um, he never spoke to me about about sexuality. I just kind of figured things out in conversations with my friends. And so for that reason, I, I just felt like I didn't really know how to do it. So I didn't talk to my sons about it either. This deficit is, is very problematic. If our children don't hear from their parents, you know, both, you know, the good examples, you know, the, the implicit and the explicit, explicit things that, you know, about what wholesome sexuality in a marriage looks like, then they will pick up an education in sexuality elsewhere, okay? And I just want to, I, I just want to kind of emphasize that now that that men are so easily manipulated through their sexual desires, and if you manipulate a man, especially from a year, very young age, through his sexuality, you can wreck a family. You know, you can keep him from being a patriarch, if you will, um, by by messing him up as an adolescent in this way. Carving a channel of communication with your son that enables you, albeit imperfectly, but that enables you to have conversations with your son, explicit conversations with your son about sexuality is critical. Because if you don't do that, some, someone or, or something like a computer certainly will. And so that's it's kind of a challenge to, to all the men listening today. They, they need to hear words from your mouth. I mean, think about it. After all, it was, it was your sex that created them, right? Um, so so who, who better, you know, to, to kind of inform them, you know, of this beautiful mystery, which is sexuality, um, than the father. So um, I, I'm so passionate about that right now, given the, the research that I've done particularly recently. Um, even in very Catholic circles that I, I kind of want to highlight that for, for all the listeners. So I'm guessing that you have some resources to recommend to <laughs> Certainly that end. do. Yeah. <laughs> so if, uh, Would well, you look thank at you, that Crystal. segue? Would you look at that? <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. So I, we are in this kind of intergenerational downward spiral 
when it comes to to masculinity, um, to what it means to be a good husband, a good father, just a good man, period. And for that reason, um, Forge, the, the nonprofit um, uh, that I lead, put together a course. It's a six-part series. Um, we interviewed um, about 25 psychologists, um, experts in the sort of theological dimension of the family, and then just dozens and dozens of very experienced parents on best practices when it comes to steeping children, particularly sons, in a, a, a proper, empowering, wholesome understanding of sexuality. So if you go to myforge.org, M-Y-F-O-R-G-E.org, you can see this six-part series. It's available to all of you. Um, each, each of the modules, the six modules, has about a 20, 25-minute video and then a 15, 20-page written resource. So if you want to jump on there, um, I think you would find it to be um, not only worth your time, um, but transformative um, in your own in your own fatherhood. So commend that to all of you. Awesome. And that is written particularly for fathers. Particularly for fathers. Um, we've had about 500 men do the course thus far. We uh, have gotten a lot of rave reviews. I do know that a number of those men have just done it in their marriage. The course is written at, at the center of our strategic focus is the, the Catholic men's group, say of men between the ages of you know, 23 to early 50s, um, who, who have sons at home, ages 2 to 15, you might say. Um, but it's kind of being used in a lot of different contexts. I, I just heard from a, um, a school principal um, last week who's, who's using the, the series for all of the teachers um, in his school in New York City, um, just to help the teachers, mm-hmm. to help empower the parents in their community to have a better understanding of this. I know a priest who's um, leading a group of couples in the course together. And so you can, you can adapt it to a variety of different contexts, but if you've got a Catholic men's group of fathers with sons at home, the course is made specifically for you. Cool. Very cool. I love it. Well, thanks for chatting with us, John. I have a lot more questions, but we might have to just have you on again sometime. Cause it's Sounds a really great. great I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a blessing to be with you guys. Love everything that you guys are doing with our outpost. Um, and it's an extraordinary ministry. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Would you mind closing us in prayer? Oh no, his audio went out. Can we hear you? Can you hear us still? <laughs> uh, Crystal, would you close us in prayer? I will do that in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time, for this conversation, and I pray that you would bless our listeners and um, especially give the courage and grace needed to men who are feeling called to take some next steps based on this conversation. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So take my hand let's be From our outpost to yours, thanks for listening. And a special thanks to John Mark Skoke. That's S-K-O-C-H. For the music. Check him out on Spotify. 